Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey folks, today is June 13, 2019. We're we'll broadcasting live from Miami. It's winter annual American Black Film Festival. We've got a jam-packed show for you. Elizabeth Letterer, uh, she of course, the law professor, the one who prosecuted Central Park 5. She has decided not to renew her deal with Columbia University because black students made it clear they did not want her on that campus. Also, Sarah Sanders has resigned from White House Press Secretary. She's going to leave you know, this month. We'll break this thing down with our panel. Also, uh, we'll talk about Father's Day coming up, the impact between fathers and young girls. Uh, also, folks, uh, we'll show you last night's red carpet, Jeff, Samuel L. Jackson, Richard Roundtree, Jesse T. Usher, a jam-packed show for you folks. It's time to bring the funk. Follow up on Filter. Let's go. Those five individuals committed. 
committed the crime. Well, she still moved forward to prosecute that case. Now, years ago, when documentary by Ken Burns came out, uh, there was also public pressure to get her to step down, but it had no impact. Columbia, though, Columbia Law School, though, did remove a reference to the Central Park Five from her bio. Well, now, way too much pressure being applied to her and applied to Linda Fairstein. Now, remember, Linda Fairstein, woman who led the sex crimes unit of the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, she's already lost her book agent, her publisher, had to resign from two boards as well. And so, uh, Ava DuVernay's uh, documentary, uh, sorry, not documentary, actually her series, uh, has, is leading to huge changes when it comes to individuals there. Uh, the, the individual with the Central Park Five, they, of course, uh, continue to put pressure, saying they need to pay for what they did for those young men being incarcerated uh, for all of those years. I want to bring in uh, my panel now to uh, talk about this. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Greg Carr, Chair of the Department of Afro-American Studies uh, at the University. He joins us there uh, in Washington, D.C. As I said, I'm here in Miami. And also Michael Brown. He's the former Vice Chair, D.C. Finance Committee. Greg, I want to go to you first. This is really important because it shows you the power of media. These two women, Elizabeth Letterer and Linda Fairstein, they have made money. They have, they have been celebrated for putting these young men wrongfully in prison. They are now having to pay the price. They are. Um, I, you know, I'm a little concerned because we live in a country where today it's them, tomorrow it could be us. Uh, the academy is a, is a strange place. And so when I read this, the letter from the Black Law Student Association, and shout out to them because people are being proactive. What you see is the university, and they complained six years ago, as you said, and they kind of took something off her bio. But, you know, she's working as an adjunct. She's not, a she's not a tenured member of the faculty. So, I mean, you know, that, that's kind of a gray area there. And so that, that doesn't concern me as much, and I'm glad to see it. And certainly in response to this popular media surge we see, whether it be Mute R. Kelly and Being R. Kelly or now when they see us, uh, but, you know, at Harvard a few weeks ago, you had a husband and wife who were forced out as deans of Harvard uh, colleges, where they were residential deans, because the students decided that they didn't like the man because he was a lawyer who was on Harvey Weinstein's defense team. I got a problem with that. These are tenured faculty members of African descent, and so when we swing the sword one way, it's like, yes, a victory for righteousness, but that sword cuts both ways, and I wonder what this precedent begins to set when something comes out and somebody is forced to resign that we perhaps support. Oh, I, I absolutely agree with that, and Michael, the bottom line is what you are looking at here, uh, you're looking at the reality uh, of, again, uh, justice. These two individuals have not had any blowback whatsoever. They both still have their law licenses, and based upon everything that we know, uh, clearly uh, the legal profession has not done anything to them. Uh, the city of New York still has not apologized for the general public. This is the best way they can, in essence, uh, exact revenge to say y'all must pay some price for wrongfully imprisoning, framing, and setting up these five uh, young brothers. Well, Roland, you know, it's interesting. The professor, who's much more profound than, than I am, and his answer was very profound, mine is much simpler. And it reminds me of the segments you have on your show where white people do dumb things and then there are consequences and they get fired. This is exactly what you do on your show pretty much weekly. And so from my standpoint, um, it's like a reparation in some form or fashion, that there has to be some kind of consequence for acting like you acted however many years ago it was, and so I'm glad that they're starting to lose their things. I certainly understand what the professor's talking about relative to this can come back and get us, and that and totally makes complete sense. But in this particular point right now, I'm glad they're getting some justice. And they got, and they got paid. So I know they got paid, too, not as much as probably they should have, um, but at least they got something. And, and Greg, um, again, nothing has really been done against them. New York has not apologized. Uh, now, uh, I will see Tamika Mallory and see her social media. Uh, they are now targeting uh, DA Vance because he accepted $28,000 in contributions from Linda Fairstein for his re-election. They say anybody who took any money from her or Elizabeth Federer needs to, Elizabeth Lederer needs to send that money to the charity to give it away. Now that, I, I think, is more appropriate. I think this is a great lesson 
and how we can wield political strength. And when it comes to the academy or when it comes to you know something like that, freedom of speech, I think there may be some issues there. If I were a law student at that time, maybe I'd say, keep her on the faculty, I'm going to take a class and blow her up in there every day and force her to deal with it. But in the street, meaning dealing with money, dealing with votes, dealing with political formations and associations, I think Tamika and them are right on. Let's go out and eviscerate everybody politically and economically. And this is a lesson we learned from the period of Martin Luther King. The most effective weapon in the civil rights movement in many ways was either the boycott or the threat of the economic boycott. That is the Montgomery bus boycott. That shows you we can put that. Yeah, yeah, starve them because I can guarantee you one thing, and this is for sure. Uh, they're not going to starve because you got these billions out here, these right wing racist billionaires that will write them a check. And that's just like what's going to happen to Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Thanks. Good job for lying. Here's a million dollars. Go sit on the beach for a while. She's not going to be put out of doors because she lost a job. Even if they have to take her next book, buy a hundred thousand copies of it and put it on the New York Times bestseller list and throw it in the trash. They're going to take care of their own. So it's good that we are pursuing a similar strategy. Uh, and again, we spoke of Sarah Huckabee Sanders, of course, Donald Trump today. Now she is stepping down as White House press secretary. She's going to be leaving by the end of the month. Just the other day, there was a story where she said that she's not, not like being called a liar. Michael, bottom line is she's a liar who, has work, who works for a liar. And my understanding, and maybe you heard the same thing today, they're starting to drop hints that they want her to run for governor of Arkansas. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if uh, um, 45 was just trying to drop it to start the conversation for her to run. But wouldn't that be a shame? And I hope whoever the Democratic nominee is absolutely wipes the floor with her and beats her badly. However, it's Arkansas. And obviously the president, sorry, 45, has a lot of support in Arkansas. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with her political career, if she has one at all. Uh, Greg, bottom line is she will not be missed. She, she consistently lied from that podium. You cannot be trusted. Uh, and frankly, uh, you look at the Sean Spicer has not been able to get much out here. Uh, I doubt very seriously that Sarah Sanders uh, has uh, any any credibility uh, for anybody to pay her for her opinion. Well, I'd be very surprised if she didn't end up as a paid contributor at Fox uh, or Sinclair. Um, and you, of course, Roland, you, you know, as a, as a deeply informed histori historian, really, historical journalist for sure, uh, you know that the practice of uh, the White House press secretary having briefings goes back to what, the Eisenhower administration? This woman hadn't had a press briefing in three months. And the tragedy is that many in the press and many who consume commercial news entertainment media have been relieved. I think she's a magnificent liar. I think that she fit uh, Donald Trump's casting perfectly uh, from her physical appearance to her disdain and prevarication. I think that fit Trump's worldview. I think he's going to be lost without Sarah Huckabee Sanders sneaking off to talk to Fox and then walking back to the White House and pausing for 30 seconds to talk to the other reporters. I think he's going to be lost with her disdain for the press, particularly his her disdain for black women like April Ryan. And I think that while, you know, she won't be in the White House anymore, we haven't seen her in three months uh, at a press briefing, I think I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see her very shortly on Fox News as a paid uh, propagandist tooling up for the 2020 election. Uh, again, Sarah Huckabee Sanders will be stepping down, and so trust me, uh, she will not be missed by a whole lot of us uh, because of what she had to say. And, and look, at the end of the day, Michael, what you have here is you have a lying administration. You have administration that that's what they do on a very consistent basis. They lie. And they're not held to account because they're this so-called base, which I hate hearing about this base. Nixon had a base. You know, every, everyone has a base. But this particular base is untouchable, and it doesn't really matter, and they don't hold anybody to account. And what Senator McConnell is, is part of that whole, I guess he's part of the base, or the leader of the base, because what he's doing running the United States Senate is an absolute disgrace. But so no one's holding him to account. So it's kind of okay that these kind of things are happening. It's not going to change. There are 40 percent of people that like him, 40 percent of people that don't. This race in 2020 is about the 20 20 percent of the people in the middle. Hopefully, they'll come to Democratic side. We just have to wait and see. Talking about the uh, race, uh, this uh, uh, this race is a ton of candidates in two days uh, in South Carolina. It's going to be a uh, economic discussion hosted by the Black Economic Alliance. Uh, the focus is going to be on expanding economic opportunities for African-Americans. And so we want to talk about that with Dr. Tony Coles, who is co-chair 
of the Black Economic Alliance. Uh, Dr. Dr. Coles, are you there? Okay, uh, so, okay, so guys, let me know uh, when we get Dr. Coles. Uh, I'm going to go to Greg first until we uh, wait to bring him up. Uh, how critically is it important, uh, Greg, to have these topic-driven presidential forums? Uh, as opposed to having these large, unwieldy discussions where, frankly, you can't have any substantive conversation about any one particular issue. Well, you know, I think a lot of that's going to depend on the viewers. Um, the way they've set these two up, these first two, having nine on one night and nine on the other night, and then mixing up the quote-unquote top-tier candidates, although how can you tell a tier, from the so-called lower-tier candidates, it's going to provide an opportunity for folks to engage in a substantive conversation. It'd be very interesting to see people who are policy wonks, who can translate fairly nimbly, like Elizabeth Warren, uh, be in conversation with folks who have this broad kind of economic kind of uh, ideological agenda like Bernie Sanders and then contrast that with a Kamala Harris or a Cory Booker and I think in mixing that up a lot is going to depend on how people come away from those conversations how they assess how well they did now some of this stuff is around race some of it's around gender and ultimately, you know, I'm still trying to get my mind around somebody like Pete Buttigieg being in a conversation with anybody for president of the United States or better or work for that matter. But one thing's for sure, finally, as you come out of this first nine person battle royale, if you ain't got no game, you about to get exposed. So I'm looking forward to this argument in this conversation. Michael, I think it'd be interesting, uh, Roland and Professor, to see how. You know, Elizabeth Warren, for example, is by far the best policy wonk of anyone of, of the folks running. Um, you know, my bias relative to, to uh, Vice President Biden and, and, Vice, and uh, Senator Harris. However, it's going to, I don't know if Elizabeth Warren, you're only going to have like that four or five minutes to talk about your issue. Mm -hmm. It usually takes her about 20, 25 minutes to lay out her plan. Sure. And in this soundbite kind of mentality, it's going to, you have to really train to get your points out in four or five minutes, knowing that you don't have 20 minutes. And so people may not get away. And so if she gets cut off or, get, or tries to figure it out, so I think that's what you, it'll be interesting to see, and the professor is exactly right, the viewer is going to have to look and see how people come across in that four or five-minute spot. Well, I think it's I think it's interesting. It's all again. What's going to happen is so the forum is going to take place on Saturday, uh, hosted by Silver Ryan. It's going to air Sunday on BET. Obviously, it'll be the edited version, but it's going to air Sunday on BET. Um, and so, you know, we'll see. Uh, we'll be, of course, here uh, in Miami for American Black Film Festival. Uh, then, of course, Sunday is also Father's Day, and so that's one of the things that. Um, and we'll see what that conversation is like. Now, first of all, all the candidates are not going to be there with these forms. They could not accept all. Uh, but there are several candidates who will be in Charleston, South Carolina, for the Black Economic Alliance for the presidential town hall. Again, it's going to be hosted by Soledad O'Brien. Uh, uh, gentlemen, I want to talk to you about this here. Uh, uh, Virginia Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax uh, has sent a letter, has sent a letter to the district attorney in Boston and Raleigh Durham saying that he wants an investigation launched into the sexual assault charges that have been leveled against him uh, by two women. Now, what's interesting about this is that uh, they released that letter. The attorneys uh, for the women who accused him, they came out firing, saying that, well, he doesn't get to actually do that. That's not right or fair. But i going to ask you, here's a case where a guy has been accused of forcing one woman to have, uh, forcing her to perform oral sex, another woman saying that he raped her, and... Uh, the both of those women have yet to go to the DA, even though sexual limitations still exist. What do you make of Justin Fairfax going on the offensive saying, hey, DAs, I want an investigation. I want you to investigate uh, these because he's saying, if I did it, criminally prosecute me. If I didn't, I need to have my name cleared. Is there, uh, Roland, is there another strategy? Is there another viable strategy for Justin Fairfax? Um, you know, we have the attention span in this society of a fruit fly. These were some very serious allegations. We know how they hit. 
They came in the immediate wake of Ralph Northern's allegations, and we all but have confirmed from what we've read and what people have said and what has been pushed through that Northern and his team got together and figured one of the ways to get the heat out of them was to throw Justin Fairfax under the bus with some allegations that they had, were well aware of during the campaign. And uh, now that Ralph Northam seems to have benefited from the short attention span of the American population, and Virginia in particular, and begun to go on the offensive and rolling out some policy initiatives, here's Justin Fairfax in silence, and here has been virtual silence about the allegations. Uh, so is there, is there any other strategy for him except to say, hey, wait a minute now. And of course, if, if he's making this assertion, he's standing firm in the conviction that I did not do anything illegal and that whatever choices I made that were bad or good, this needs to be litigated in the courts. And where are these women? Finally, I would say, you know, in some stories, there aren't any victors. You got black women, you got a black man, and you get this is a real problem. I don't even like the idea of people weighing in on this in a way that isn't filtered through the lens of a black community that has to deal with some very serious internal problems and challenges. But I, as far as I'm concerned, Justin Fairfax is doing, playing the only card he has, which is what? Y'all going to clear my name. Because believe me, if I want to run for anything else in life, it's going to come up again. So let me get out here now and go on the offensive. And if y'all going to charge me, charge me. And that sister in uh, Massachusetts, the DA, who offered to do the investigation, remember, at the very beginning, I think she's more than willing to go along with this. We'll see how this unfolds. It's fascinating and it's tragic and it's complicated, but I don't think he had any other choice. It's interesting. So, again, uh, Lieutenant Governor uh, Justin Fairfax earlier called for the FBI uh, to investigate. Uh, as Greg said, the district attorney in Boston, African-American woman, she said if a complaint is filed by Vanessa Tyson, she would investigate. The lawyers for Tyson said she was going to meet with the DA. That was back in February. This is June. There still has been no meeting. The other woman, Marilyn Watson, has not met with the Raleigh Durham district attorney, an African-American woman. Katz sent this letter out, De attorneys Deborah Katz, Lisa Banks, attorneys for Vanessa Tyson, sent a letter out saying that, calling what Justin Fairfax is doing a political stunt, saying that he has show shows his lack of respect for survivors of sexual violence. Then she says, as a former prosecutor, Lieutenant Governor certainly knows that potential targets of criminal investigations do not get to direct prosecutorial decisions. And so they go on and they say that uh, uh, you know, criticizing him uh, that they're not going to deter said he letters to the district attorney appears intended to do the same in his crude effort to deny agency to survivors of sexual violence his suggestion that women are liars unless they press criminal charges against their assailants places an unfair demand on survivors and shows a fu fundamental misunderstanding of the criminal justice system pursuing criminal charges is a weighty decision that the vast majority of survivors choose not to make for legitimate reasons. And so there's some other things that are in here. But what's interesting is that at the end of it, they say that Lieutenant Governor Fairfax's letter shows yet again that he is not deserving of his position of power. I have continued to raise this question, Mike, that Vanessa Tyson and Mary Watson and their lawyers say that they will fully cooperate in an impeachment hearing of Justin Fairfax. Yet, if the statute of limitations is not up, why would they not meet with two black female DAs to say launch a criminal investigation? So they're critical of Fairfax, but they won't launch an invest. They want you to file the complaint. So I'm just trying to understand if you want justice and there's no impeachment hearing, why would you not file? Complaint. And what's interesting is obviously an impeachment hearing is a political hearing. So they accuse him of a political stunt, um, but they won't. And you can do both. They can they can say, hey, I want an impeachment hearing and we'll testify. And I'm heading up to Boston and to Raleigh, neither of which have happened. It's a very it's a, the whole thing is very odd. So they want to do a they want to come into a political arena and make the accusation. But they don't want to go to to the legal uh, track to make their accusation. Very odd, very confusing. I'm sure a lot of folks don't understand it. And that's part of the problem why the pendulum, I think, is starting to switch back. When people get accused, not that they didn't do it, and not mean, it doesn't mean you don't believe the women, 
but that due process, when you have an avenue in a courtroom to have real due process, why don't some folks do it? I understand some folks are scared and don't want to put themselves out there, and we have to have respect for that. But just like you have to have respect for the victim, you have to have respect for the folks that are accused, because it may not have happened. Well, and I think that's where we are, and so we'll see what happens. But clearly, Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax uh, is demanding his name be cleared, and so we'll see what the next step is. Uh, folks, this, uh, first of all, I'm going to go to a break. When we come back here, we're going to filter live from Miami. We're going to talk about Father's Day. You know what, that day where we don't talk a lot about? Oh, we'll spend a long time talking about Mother's Day, not Father's Day. But what is the importance of the relationship between fathers and young girls, their daughters. That's next. Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roller Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, they're back. MarijuanaStock.org has another great investment opportunity. If you were lucky enough to invest in the last crowdfunding campaign, you know they raised a lot of money in just a few months investing in legal marijuana farms. Those initial investors now own shares of a publicly traded company, and, of course, they are very excited by that. Now they have a new investment opportunity that is as good, if not better, than the last. I'm talking about industrial hemp CBD. For those who don't know, the hemp plant is a cousin to marijuana, uh, of course, and then you, it has a higher concentration of CBD, which means hemp CBD gives you all of the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. Now, until recently, hemp farming was practically illegal in the U.S. and heavily regulated by the DEA. However, that changed with the 2018 Farm Bill, making it legal to grow hemp CBD in the U.S. and creating one of the largest commodities worldwide. They need land to grow all of the plants, and this makes for an incredible investment opportunity. And that's where our good friends at 420 Real Estate come in. Their business model is simple. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to licensed high-paying tenants. That's right. They are hemp CBD landlords, and you can get in on the action. You can invest in this crowdfunding campaign for as little as 200 bucks, up to $10,000. All right, folks, all you got to do is go to Marijuana Stock. .org. That's MarijuanaStock.org if you want to get in the game. And if you do so, do it now. All right, folks. All right, folks. Father's Day is coming up this weekend on Sunday. And we always talk about, of course, uh, the importance of fathers and their sons. We're like fathers and their daughters. Joining us is clinical psychologist, Dr. Nick Albert. Uh, Dr. Albert, how are you doing? I am doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, I have uh, my father, I got my mother, of course, uh, one brother, three sisters. And so uh, can you talk about uh, how critical it is, the relationship uh, that exists, a strong bond between a father and daughters? Oh, my goodness. It is so uh, critically important. It is imperative. Um, fathers are really for, for girls, for young women. That is our, that is our, that's the first man we fall in love with. That is the man who, who, who shows us who we are, how beautiful we are, how smart we are, all of the unique qualities that we have. And most importantly, Roland, that is the man that teaches us how men should treat us and how we should relate to men. So it is so incredibly important. Also, I think when you talk about how a bad relationship can be damaging. Uh, look, I've got two nieces. Uh, they um, lived with, I mean, their mother was uh, beaten, uh, assaulted, physically and sexually by their father. And, uh, my oldest, and, and, and they have a bad view of their father, don't want, don't want to be around them. And as, as the godfather, I had to be fiercely protective of them. Uh, and I remember when, you know, he got out of prison, he wanted to reach out to them. And I asked him, I said, well, are you still in the game? Are you still selling drugs? And he said, well, no, I'm not. And I, I said, he said, I never was. I was like, first of all, dude, you lying to me. And I made it clear. I said, you're not going to spend time with my nieces um, at all. And I said, because I have to be protective of them. And so the flip side is that that could actually have, I mean, that, that could have a negative effect and take take girls years to go through 
and get over and deal with that trauma uh, that was inflicted by that man. That is absolutely correct. There is some interesting research that says even an absent father for a young girl or for a boy um, is better than having a father who is uh, abusive, who is violent, who has substance abuse, uh, who, who cannot be available in, in, a, in a healthy and adaptive way. So you are absolutely correct. So resources would you recommend for a young father uh, to help him and guide him through uh, this, that, he, that, that prepares him for how he must cultivate that relationship between with, with their daughter? So, so you know, you know, obviously, one of the best ways to learn is by seeing, um, and, we, and we learn through modeling, right? And so when you don't have that, you're at a distinct disadvantage. And so what I would say to any young uh, father who is looking to uh, learn how to be a father or to be a better parent, just sort of writ large, um, is, is to find other role models, and, and, and we, can, we can look for them and find them in, in myriad places, right? In our churches, um, uh, in our colleges and universities, we have professors, um, in our own families, right? We may have grandparents or, or, or uncles uh, who are that, who can be role models. Um, our Black Week letter uh, fraternities. Uh, so I think there are a number of, of ways. There are parenting classes, many communities, and, um, and courts, family courts, have these types of classes that can help uh, young African-American men. All right, Dr. Nick Albert, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thank you. All right, uh, Greg and Michael, I want to talk to you all about this here. It really does piss me off that, that we spend so much time and energy around Father's Day. People... Greg, people could be literally in Australia or Thailand, <laughs> and they will kill themselves to get home for Mother's Day. But they could be they could be in the same city in the same state Father's Day. Yeah, man, I see them come Thanksgiving. That's true, brother. I mean, you know, Mother's Day was created in Philadelphia, really. John Wanamaker uh, um, uh, department store. It was almost like a marketing kind of thing. It kind of emerged, and Father's Day came as, in many ways as a response to that. But we know in our communities, and I agree with what Dr. Alfred said, you know, black men are used to not, you know, getting all that affection. But then again, it's probably Father's Night every time man come home and get that big piece of chicken, like my daddy did for many years. But, but what Dr. Alfred said, I said, I won't lose track of that. I think about the, the, the song, what was it, the, uh, the Winstons, Color Him Father. It's a lot of ways you can be a father. And I know that on Father's Day, I get texts from, like, say, former students. You know, I don't have any biological children. I got a couple of godsons, and I got my nephew, and I know what it means to be an uncle who's there for a male, uh, male, you know, uh, and my nephew. You get texts, you get calls, and it's kind of an afterthought, but it's almost a running joke in the black community. You know, black man sitting up waiting on getting them calls for real. So, you know, maybe it's a little sad, but uh, maybe, and maybe we can do something about it. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe you get those calls, Roland. It, it is, it is frankly offensive, Michael. I'm sorry that how <laughs> Father's Day and it's sort of like a blow off day. Uh, it's no big deal, you know. Okay, fine. All right, yeah, you know, I, I, I'll see you in two or three months uh, when the reality is fathers matter just as much as mothers. Well, I tell you, the, the, the pressure on um, males, not just black males, males, to get to the store, get a card, get flowers, make reservation for Mother's Day brunch, which is, again, fine. That's just what kind of, if you're raised a certain way, that's just how you were raised and it's important. But on Father's Day, it's more of an individual thing. What you, you're thinking? What am I going to do with my day? <laughs> Not is it? I would love to spend time. Three sons. I would love to spend time with them, and I do. But you know, if I get a call from two of the three, that's a good Father's Day. Um, not that they, and then they'll be like, "Oh man, today's Father's. Day. I need to text Dad." So yes, it is absolutely a different priority relative from the Mother's Day to a Father's Day, and whether that changes or not, I don't know. I remember growing up, my. Um, my father used to say to us, Mother's Day is every day. Father's Day is just one day. Maybe you get what you want. Maybe you don't. And so that's just how I was raised with my grandfather. I got to push back on that. If Mother's Day is every day, Father's Day is every day. And I, and I think, and I get 
get it, but, but, but I really do. And, he, he, and I know somebody probably saying, brother, why do you make a big deal out of this? Because the problem that I have is we literally have a culture that says daddies don't matter. I mean, in fact, let me tell you something. This actually happened. I was at, I was at, we had a National Association of Black Journalists. We were in Chicago at our convention a number of years ago. So we're sitting at the table. There's about 10 people at the table. And at the table, there are four lesbians at the table. One of them, Latina, Latina, she was talking about how, okay, uh, uh, me and my uh, partner, me and my wife, we have a kid and, you know, we're raising the kid fine. You know, uh, we don't need a male influence. I don't believe in that. There were two sisters who were lesbian who said, hold on now, we disagree. We know the importance of our fathers. And they were saying that even if we have kids as lesbians, there has to be a male influence. The dynamic of the conversation was real interesting because these black women saw it totally different in terms of how they feel about this, this dynamic. I've had this debate even among heterosexual couples or, or, or individuals who are single who talk about the importance of a man. But I hear people say, oh, my mama was my daddy. No, she wasn't. <laughs> Just like we assume that a father can't be empathetic, that a father can't be loving, that a father can't be compassionate. And so I would never say that a father is a mother and a mother's a father. No, you are who you are. But I think as a society, we literally have created this entire worldview that daddy is optional. No, of course, of course. But I do think that, you know, a lot of it has to do with enslavement. I don't think there is such thing as an American culture. There are many different cultures in this, in this state we call America. And we look at African people, you know, you see, uh, we went through literally, particularly when the domestic slave trade ex explodes in the early 19th century. For about 50 years, we went through a process where breeding became the way that they created new people of African descent in this society. So you didn't know necessarily who your father was, but it had an unintended consequence of creating community mothers and fathers, big mama and them, big, they weren't necessarily your biological kin. We still see that today. I mean, I'll give you one quick example. At graduation every year, you know, it's very moving to see men embrace their graduate children, particularly the daughters. And I think, again, Dr. Alfred's research is very important in this regard. When you see these sisters who may not have grown up with their biological father, but then here come their uncles and here come their grandfathers. And, and you see the pride in these men. There's a certain energy when you get a bunch of men in a, in a circle, the same way as this when you get a bunch of women. But when you see them come together in those moments of celebration, no one can say that men and fathers are not important. If they've ever been in a space where you see the interaction of that energy in our communities that were attacked biologically, but then it expanded our definition of mother and father. So no, I, that's probably why those two sisters pushed back. They know what it means to have somebody who's in the father role that may not be the biological parent. And, and that's the thing, Michael, that, that look, I, look, I don't have biological children, uh, but I've raised uh, six of my nieces. I have nine nieces, four nephews. I've raised six of those nine nieces off and on, literally by entire marriage for the last, last 19 years. And the thing that, that, that that's interesting, when you talk about that dynamic, when when my sister and her two children, one was five, one was two, came to live with us, um, my wife and I only married about six months. And I was intentional in terms of how we interacted. Now, here's what's very interesting. <clears throat> My nieces couldn't stand when we were affectionate to one another in front of them. And I was like, well, first of all, get the hell over this my house. <laughs> but the reason I was intentional is because one worldview, they saw a black man being physical with their mother. I needed them to see a black man being loving with his wife. I, I needed that to be corrected. And so when I took the job of the Chicago Defender, it was a hard decision because those formative years, five and two, 
I would be away. And so in the household, it would be my sister, my wife, and then my two nieces. I, I, I was serious about the role that male influence and the role that we play. And so that's why for me, it is, it is deeply embedded in my psyche, in my worldview, the value and the importance of that man. And obviously from a, from a perspective of a son, but I also see it in terms of fully accepting my role as a godfather. Because I tell people a godfather is not, does not mean that I'm gonna give you birthday gifts and Christmas gifts. It literally means that if, if the daddy ain't doing his job, I am to step into the gap to serve that same role. And I don't know if it's society or a much smaller part of society within your own home of how the dynamic is and how you're raised relative to affection from men. Now, I, ra I, was, I was raised in a family where the men were very affectionate. I mean, the day I went off to college, my father and I were still kissing each other and hugging each other. Um, and that's just how we were raised. That was, it wasn't abnormal. But when some of my friends would come over and they would see how my father and I interacted, they were like, wow, you guys, that's, that was like, yeah, that's how, but that's not how they were raised. They were raised in a, not that it was wrong, because you can't certainly judge anybody on how they're raised. It's just different. And not right, and it doesn't make it wrong or right, but I was just raised, we were just very affectionate. So with my kids, who were three sons, but now they're at the age of like, dad, please, please, please. But when they were younger, they knew that dad was going to kiss them goodnight. They knew when they went off to college, I was going to kiss them goodbye. Okay, okay, okay. So, Michael, so, Michael, so, Michael, when your son say, dad, please, 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 what's your response? I don't give, I don't give a shit. I still grab them, hug them, grab them in the neck, and I give them a kiss on the cheek. <laughs> There you go. And see, there you go. And see, Greg, that's how I roll. All my nieces and nephews know. You walk your ass in the house. I don't, I don't, I don't speak to my brother or my three sisters. Your ass gonna hug me. You gonna greet me. Well, you know. You, and if you don't, you getting jacked. That's a very, that's a very black thing. You don't come in the house and not speak, man. That's that's true. I mean, that's generally speaking. No, 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 no. You can come in the house and speak. Your ass gonna come hug me. Oh, now see, yeah, you've taken it to the to the next level. Now I'll say this: I don't, you know, we didn't do a lot of hug. I ain't hugged my father a lot in it, but I tell you what, um, my father went to work every day of his life, and I watched my father get up four day in the morning every day for years. Some of my earliest memories as a child in Nashville, my father getting up, whistling, washing his face, going to bed, and, and then sometime, one time we didn't even have a car. He walked to work. And my father, as he became an elder and he transitioned in 2001, 79 years old, my father was uh, the kind of man who didn't have a whole lot of words, but he demonstrated. And his brother lived across the street, my uncle, and they had 89 children. So, you know, when you saw these men, the affection they showed was through their dedication of what they did every day. My father was like that. And the last thing I say is, and I, and I really echo what you said about displaying affection in front of the children. My father and mother didn't kiss a whole lot in front of us, but you know how we knew that my father loved my mother, my mother loved my father? It was the little things they did to support each other as they worked. And we knew when my father got mad. We knew when we were in trouble when he would look at us and say, boys, I love your mother. Now, that would usually come after we had done something in the house, and she said, I'm going to tell your father when he comes home, and he'd come in and say, boys, I love your mother. We knew that we had crossed a line with her <laughs> that couldn't be uncrossed. But I'm saying there are a lot of ways to show affection, and sometimes it's the subtle things that let you know. And that's why I go to work every day, and ain't nobody going to outwork me, brother, just like ain't nobody going to outwork you, because you had a man in the house that showed you what it meant. And that was the way, in some ways, he displayed love and affection, because I know Reginald Martin Sr. was the same kind of man, and I see, I see how hard you work, and I know a lot of that comes from you seeing that in one of the ways that love and affection was displayed for you. And, 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 the, and the thing for me is, I, I mean, I, it's like, my dad hugged us, but it's not like it was a lot. It's certainly not like how I do my, niece, my, my nieces and nephews. Um, but for me, it's also, it, it's also a sign that I just like, sound respect, and this, this is also what you're going to do. Uh, and in fact, uh, Michael, uh, I have, uh, so a uh, uh, couple of my nieces, uh, the two of his nieces, um, uh, both in college, and I had one who just graduated, two just graduated, and so one like my niece, my my my, net, my niece Faith. So like my grandfather, I saw my grandfather, and you know, my my different than my cousins or whatever. He would he would grab one and he would kiss him like 
30, 40 times in a row. And so, instead, again, seeing that, I actually have done the same thing with a couple of my nieces. So Faye, just graduated from high school, was going to Howard University in the fall. I didn't say to her, she's like, no, 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 stop. I said, girl, let me explain something to you. Said, let me explain something to you. I don't care how old you get. I don't care how old you think. I don't care if you marry. You understand. Your uncle is going to show a level of affection to you. Uh, and not this whole, but I'm older now, I'm this. And so it's like, no, this is not how it's going to be. And that's how you, ha and, and, and you know, it's interesting you had that conversation because my, my niece is 12. And when she was really, really young, we were very, 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 still very affectionate. We were an affectionate family. But then I got to, she got to a certain age, and now I'm wondering, do I need to kind of pare back that affection a little mm. bit? So I'm, I may be, I don't know if I'm overcompensating. Maybe I need to ask the doctor about if I'm overcompensating right. <laughs> or not. But it sounds like right. maybe I need to have the conversation you had, which is, hey, I don't care how you look, what, how old you are, who you're dating, who you're going to the prom. Your Uncle Sonny is going to stay up on you and be affectionate <laughs> with you. And maybe I should do that so then there's no confusion and she understands that. Doc, does that make sense? It makes what sense. What Roland did make sense. I just never thought about how to handle that. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I mean, look, it, it, it should happen. And, 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 and the reason, and, I, and again, I know that people uh, are having some internet issues. I can't pull up the social media. Now, I know people are saying, man, you're going way too hard on this. No, let me tell you something. <laughs> I know a number of brothers whose dad is not here. Uh, mine is 72. My mom will be 72 in November. They're still, they're still with me. Michael, you lost your father. Very, very, very public way uh, in the plane crash. Greg, you lost your father. And, I, and what I say to people is how these brothers miss their fathers, which means you got to show that love where they get. That's real. I think Greg, and I want the doctors to do this. Greg, we've got to get away. And I totally understand your point, Greg, when we say, Dads, because Chris Rock said he's kind of special. Dads showed their value just by going to work and doing what they do. But I think for too many of us who are men, we greatly miss our fathers when they're gone. But because of this manhood code, we didn't want to show that affection and how much they meant to us when they were alive. And to me, that's, 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 that's not smart. No, 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 that's real. I mean, I'll give a very quick example. There's a brother who's on faculty at Morehouse College. Uh, he taught at Fordham University, City College in New York for a number of years. And for the years when I first met him at Temple University, he was actually on my dissertation committee. His name is Nate Norman. He retired from Temple and moved to Atlanta and then went right back to work. We all call him Pop. He is known all over the world as Pop. Pop see you the first five minutes, he'll give you a bear hug. There's not a moment. He does this with his sons. He has two sons, including one who swam for uh, the brother when you know the, the movie Pride, when they talk about Philadelphia PDR, Department of Recreation. Yes. The reason that Norman moved to Philadelphia is because his son Mike was an Olympic-class swimmer. He was one of the guys who swam for him. And what he demonstrated, to your point, is that I show affection. And one of the reasons that we loved him and love him to this day, and he went to Atlanta and got a whole new crop, of young people, these young brothers at Ed Morehouse, is that he gonna put his hands on you. Now, in this society, that can, that can be, you can, you know, that line gets a little blurred. So again, I, I'd ask too, Mike, uh, you know, uh, Brother Powell, I'd ask Dr. Albert how we handle this in a society where we're taught now to ask permission and kind of mute. But you have some people, and I think about these men in particular who are affectionate, who not only do that with their biological children, they do that with community children, and it creates a safe space. Uh, Pop hugs everybody, and he, and, he, and, he, and he works, and he does all this work, and I've never seen anyone in the almost 25 years I've known him that's ever been offended by that, and he is consistent with it. And I think in this moment, we're in a social moment when I wonder how we protect that kind of affection showing, because it can be dicey, and I don't know what we do. I don't know the answer to that. Maybe you can help us with it now. I think that, um, I agree, I think it's dicey. 
I think that we are living um, in a in a time in a in a generational space where people are very unfortunately having to have difficult conversations with their youth, with their kids, um, about appropriate touches and inappropriate touches. And and, and I think that um, it, it's it's sad. It saddens me. Um, but I could see how a simple bear hug could be misconstrued. I can see that. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think things have changed greatly generationally, and, I, and that's unfortunate. Let, let me let me be real clear for all y'all watching. I got nine nieces, four nephews. <laughs> they asses will be getting bear hugs. <laughs> I, I they will get a bear hug if I will kiss them on the cheek. I might sit here, give them a noogie on their head. Yep. Uh, I might do. I will. I, I will play with them. I will because of, because I'm telling you. Um, I, 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 my paternal grandfather is gone. My maternal grandmother is gone. My maternal grandmother. I did not know my 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 my, uh, no, my paternal grandfather. I did not know my I know my maternal grandfather. I did not know my paternal grandfather. I did not know my dad's grandfather. And I can tell you this. Um, I'm lucky to have both my parents still living. But when you talk to people, and mamas and daddies are gone. Those are the moments they remember. Those are the moments that they think about. They think about that love, that affection. They think about how they talk to them, how they with them. They think they might they might get mad at you. They why are you always playing? Why are you always joking? Why are you? But when somebody's gone, that's what they miss. And, and I just think that for a lot of us, I really and truly believe this: uh, we have got to return to a period where daddies matter. We've got to be willing to say it. We have to exhibit it. We must apologize for it. We must we must uh, stop this nonsense in major mass media where daddy is inept, knows nothing, can't take care of a kid, don't know how to fix food, and only mothers know how to do that. Because that those of us who've had fathers who've been that important in our lives, I just think that we make a grand mistake when we, when we marginalize that male figure. And that to me is dangerous. We should not marginalize mama. We should not marginalize daddy or that godfather or that uncle if they meant all that to us. And so I just think that's pretty critically important uh, for us to do. Hey, folks, yes. yesterday on the red carpet, uh, Shaq, I ran to Sabrina Fulton. Uh, and I had a chance to ask her about the group of uh, Iranian sister in Texas who uh, gave the speech that she mentioned. Uh, she mentioned uh, Tray Trayvon Martin and Tamir Rice. Well, Dallas Independent School District, we told you yesterday, they apologized for cutting off her speech. Here's Sabrina Fulton last night remarking about that decision to apologize to that young woman. Hey, darling. Good, good, good. Good, good. Hold on real quick here. I got to ask you this here. Uh, we've been covering this story. Dallas Independent School District has apologized to the young woman uh, who mentioned your son and Tamir Rice. Uh, they said that she should have been allowed to give her a speech. Uh, your thoughts about them apologizing to her by cutting, for cutting her off? No, they definitely should have apologized to her. They, they should have. And, and I appreciate them apologizing because they're admitting that they're wrong. And, and, and they, should, they should have let her finish her speech. Um, I gave her a platform. I let her finish her speech. So on social media, I posted the end of her speech. For me, I was bothered by the, by the principal who's of Eritrean descent somehow saying that by her mentioning Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice is going to incite white folks. I'm like, they need, they need to hear it. Yes, it's true. It wasn't anything that she was saying wrong. If you listen to the entire speech, they know that she wasn't saying anything wrong. So let our young people speak up. We need that. You also run of office. That's right. Miami-Dade County Commissioner here. When is the election? Uh, 2020. August um, 2020. Yeah. Right, then, so uh, why do you want to run? I want to run because I feel like I can um, be a voice for the people. And so I'm a people person, so I feel like I can give back to my own community. Right. Always good to see you, darling. Okay, All right, you too. take care. Thank you, you All too. Right, then. All right, then. So it's great to see Sabrina Fulton there on the red carpet. Uh, and uh, certainly uh, appreciate all the shooters doing. Uh, first of all, I want to thank uh, Greg and Mike for being on the show today. Uh, we're going to end the show, folks, uh, last night uh, from the red carpet. We, of course, broadcast last night. Uh, Shaft premiered here at the American Black Film Festival. Uh, and we had a chance to catch up with a whole bunch of members uh, of the cast. Uh, and so I wanted to uh, have that for you again. And 
y'all need to stick around because when you listen to it, I talked to Jesse T. Usher, Jesse T. Usher, as well as talked to Richard Roundtree about Shell and black manhood. Y'all don't want to miss this. And so uh, we're going to go ahead and put it in the show. First of all, folks, I'm here in Miami. Uh, we got some more stuff we got to cover. We've been having some amazing interviews Anthony Anderson, Reggie Hudlin, all kind of folks we've been talking to. We got some interviews tonight. I have for you tomorrow as well as uh, all next week as well. Uh, don't forget, folks, please support our Bring the Funk Fan Club. Every dollar you give those to support this show, to make this show possible, to allow us to be able to do what we do and do here, be able to broadcast remotely, be able to bring you stuff that nobody else is doing. Uh, we talk about this all the time, Greg. Bottom line, there's a lot of people here who are shooting stuff. But look, there's nobody else broadcasting live. There's nobody else broadcasting live from the red carpet uh, to our audience because we're about showing you black excellence in all ways. That's why we do Roller Martin Unfiltered. So please go to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Sign up today for our Green and Funk Fan Club. You can, you can use Cash App, PayPal, Square. We got all of that. I want you to support us. Uh, so we're going to close the show out right now again. Here he is, the red carpet last night. Shaft. What's up, man? What's going on? I don't know, man. You all good? I'm trying, man. All right. Well, first and foremost, um, to be here, Shaft is premiering, but we don't have John here. It's got to be bittersweet. It is. Um, it hurts my heart, man, because John and I talked. He said, Tim, uh, do your thing. Make, it, make sure it's your own. And it's like that's a little pep on the back. Went out and did it, and... Oh, I, was, I, I think he would have really loved this because we have a little bit of his footage in it and we use some of his dialogue. I mean, we really gave it like a, you know, a John wink wink and um, it hurts my heart that he can't see it. Now, I got to ask you this here. Folks have been losing their mind on my social media pages because they think the trailers have been too funny. And I'm like, y'all, Chef, it was always funny. So I'm like, why y'all, folks have been really tripping. Well, that's the thing. Look, we gave it, we gave it some entertainment. We gave it some humor. But look, we never disrespect Shaft. He's he's just as cool as he's ever been. He uh, it's a lot of ass whooping. Oh, it's a lot of ass whooping. He takes some people out. So if you're worried about whether it's um, edgy and Shaft like it is, but we also give you like a lot of humor. All right, then. Well, so tell me about Jesse Jesse T uh, as the next in line. Jesse T Usher is the next in line. He doesn't start off where you might think a Shaft might start off, but he gets there in the end. And um, he'll make everybody proud. And he's such a great addition to this franchise, you know, this Shaft franchise. All right, baby, always good to see you. Always. Keep doing your business, Doc. Thank you, man. All right, absolutely okay, appreciate man. it. How you doing? Hey, y'all doing? What are you doing? Hold on. She walks up, she's like, hey. Because I know you. It's like, it's like, it's like people in the grocery store. They, they look at me and go, hey. Go, hey. I'm going, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, so first of all, let's talk about uh, this film. Uh, a lot of folks are hyped for it. It's amazing. It's uh, like, this is crazy. So unexpected. Like, I knew it was going to be a huge deal, but this is much more than I thought it was going to be. Well, what you also have going on is you got, uh, and uh, a lot of people on social media have been really tripping. They're like, they're not happy with the comedy in the, the trailers, but I keep saying, but if y'all go back and look at the previous chefs, they were all funny. There were funny lines in the movie. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there, there was always that kind of humor, and this is just sort of taking the humor to a different level, which I think is really necessary um, and adds something completely different to the film, and it's just funny and fun. So I think there's enough for people to be satisfied with. They're going to really like it. Well, I was on a plane, and I was coming here, and I, I, had my, I had my iPad, the previous shaft, and so when Samuel Jackson was uh, beating Mookie or whatever, but Malik, whatever, who's in the ring, I was laughing. I, and I, I know it wasn't a funny scene, but I was cracking up on the plane, so I don't know why people are tripping. That says a lot about you. I'm just saying. <laughs> hey, hashtag team whip that ass. I was laughing. <laughs> hashtag go for it. Hashtag I get to wheel the bat, so, you know, I'm good. Well, look, we're looking forward to it. Uh, and, of course, you got to work with some great people. Yes, I did. I mean, that's like working with Sam is a dream. He's an icon. He's a legend. And that kind of stuff is what we hope for in this business, to get to work with people like him. All right, then. Well, I, I got a chance to play golf with him, and so, uh, we, uh, so. Yes. Everybody gets to play golf with him. Come on, come on out. Grab the club. Let's go. Except I don't play golf. But I could play golf if I wanted to, I guess. You, you, you can putt. Don't matter. <laughs> drive the cart. Play the music. <laughs> no, I don't putt, and I don't drive the cart. Okay, but you have to putt in golf because when you get to the green. Now, right? Uh -huh. That was Benny. 
Yeah, but you got the putt. <laughs> See? That tells you how much I know about golf. See? Well, so, okay, you come hang with us, but all right, just play the music. Okay, you got it. I'll do that. Lots of sad sad music blaring. Oh, yeah, I got 10,000 songs on iPod. We good. Okay, we good. <laughs> What's good, senior? Looking forward to the movie. Thank you. All You'll right, enjoy you. it. You'll yeah. enjoy it. All right, then. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. How's it going, brother? How are you? You all good? Yeah, I'm maintaining. You know, I watch you on the YouTubes. Uh, well, you know, we, we try, to, try to give him a little help. I like, I like your little round table, too. <laughs> the the uh, red bone sister with the glasses, very informative. Red bone sister with the glasses. Yes, older, older, older lady. Oh, Julianne Malvo. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Right, see, when I tell her that, she going to be hyped. I'm an admirer, man. She speaks very well, too. Well, man, look, we're looking for, we're looking for this. We're going to have you on to talk some stuff. On. I would love to come on. Right, I'm going to get your information when we go inside. I appreciate it. Real you. quick. Yes. Um, this movie here, there's a lot of testosterone in this movie. Yeah, it is. But what you're going to get is Shaft. And now you got three generations of Shaft. Oh, they're in your window alone, right? Uh, are there any? Are there enough win are there enough women in the movie for all those Shafts? I think Regina Hall holds it down for the majority of women. We don't need to see no more except her. All right, then. That's the same. Good seeing you. Good to see you. I'm looking forward to it. And then we'll we'll connect uh, uh, a little bit later. All right, Uncle Okay. Roland. All right, <laughs> Here we go. I told you. Baby boy, what's up? What's going on? First of all, uh, how you come out here doing shad looking like one of the five heartbeats? Yo. <laughs> I feel like that era is kind of synonymous. You know what I mean? I can, I can just channel that era and be on point. I ain't know whether to say five heartbeats on any table for four. Oh, my gosh. Nah, five heartbeats was right. Five heartbeats was right. Move. I tried to get your look a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I knew you. Well, she has an ascot. Yeah, I needed an ascot. I needed an ascot. I ain't get one. Should have called a brother. I should have. I knew you got plenty of them for me. I know you have plenty of them for me. Next time. Well, see, I don't wear it down here because, see, I figure I'm going to wear the linen. No, I can wear it when it's hot, but I'm going to hit the linen. Oh, yeah. No, see, you did the right thing. You did the right thing. The linen, the I pink linen is a good look on you. Although the ascot is your classic. Right, right. But so I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring it back out because, see, I, I set it down. The folks were expecting it. Mm -hmm. And I can't have folks expecting. You're absolutely right about that. You can't. You got to shake them up sometimes. I, mean, I hit them with the African stuff at, uh, at Essence Fest last year. They lost their mind. They ain't know what to do. <laughs> don't buy it. <laughs> So, I, baby, what's going on? My man Richard Roundtree. Uh, uh, so, uh, is he a worthy heir to the Shaft mantle? Wow. Yes. Yes. Wow. He, he's he got the last baton. He's got the th the last leg. It's, go it's on him. Now, now, I got to ask you this here. Because somebody will be 77 next month. Yet when he walked into the room, all the women will still, I mean, does it, does it make you feel a little inadequate when you like, no. this is Shaft right here, this is the original Shaft, absolutely not. It would make me feel less than coming onto this project if that didn't happen, but the fact that it does, just, it makes me feel even better. This young brother can hold his own. I'm so proud of him. Thank you. What? Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare.
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.